Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. How's that? Can you hear me now? Yeah, nice. Good morning. Um, Well, let's dive in. If you've got Bibles uh, or Bibles in front of you, um, we'll be in Matthew again, Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Last week, we we were not in the book of Matthew. Pastor Mike on Sanctity of Life Sunday uh, gave us a, a topical sermon about the intrinsic value and sanctity of every human life, including a life in the womb. And and even though we're returning to Matthew today, we're actually going to find, man, the the text today is remarkably similar in that, again, we will be considering the value and delight that our our God has in every human that he's created, seen specifically in children and those like them. And I'm pretty honored to get to preach this passage as the youth pastor. I don't know if it was intentional or not, Mike, but um, I'm honored to get to preach this one, especially to a, a church that, you know, in all of my experience here at Sawyer since I was 15, this church has just valued and loved children in some pretty, pretty awesome ways. And so um, this will, yeah, it's an honor. But Jesus didn't just love and cherish children. He did, and we're going to see that in our text. But he also saw in children something that illustrated what he wants to see in us, even his adult followers. So what is it about little children that Jesus wants to see in us? That'll be one of the things we consider. Um, And I ask the question because I have little children. I've got two six-year-olds and a four-year-old, all boys all energy, and I love them to bits, but I I sincerely do not think Jesus wants me to be like them in every way. (laughs) Um, You know, the the parents will often say, the world doesn't revolve around you. Like, there's that kind of mentality. Like, if I see it, it should be mine. Um, Toy snatching has been, like, a big thing the last, like, four or five months. Like, even it, yeah, there's just snatching, and it never makes a problem better. You know, even if it's your toy, just don't grab it out of someone's hands. I don't want to be like my kids in that way. Uh, they throw fits. I don't want to be a fit thrower. Um, these, are, these are not things I want exemplified in my life. Yet, Jesus does say there is something about children that we should strive to value and imitate. And this morning, I think that'll reveal itself as we consider a few things. One, we'll consider the heart of Jesus and what he loves about children. And hopefully, by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, you and I will strive to, and this is the main idea as, as best I can summarize it, um, that we will strive to align our hearts with the heart of the king who loves much, the least and such. I try to make it like a little rhymey, and, and don't let that distract you. It's, it's a memory device. Um, align your hearts with the heart of the king who loves much, the children and such. Okay, so there's a few, few things to that. Aligning our hearts and, 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 and so what is the heart of the king? Well, he, he loves the little ones and those such as them. So I think we'll see that idea come, come out clearly as we work through our text. Um, but for the note takers out there or those who just need to see where we're going, see a roadmap ahead of time, here's kind of how I'll be working through it. First, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at the context. And when I say that, 
I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, what was life like in, in the first century. I mean, where is this, this, these verses, where are they within the book of Matthew? So we'll call this literary context. Where is this in the book and why is it there and why is it significant? So we'll, we'll spend a little time thinking about that. And then we'll get into the text and, and observe people coming to Jesus with needs and, and, and seeing Jesus meet the needs, but also a, re, a realignment that needs to happen in our hearts as well. And then we'll close with kind of the challenge to embrace neediness and embrace the needy. So that's, that's where we're going. So as you write that down, um, let me invite one of the little ones of our congregation to come up. Declan, where you at? Are you re- oh, he's ready. Um, so as Declan uh, prepares to read, would you stand? We're going to do this in honor of God's word. And uh, you got a mic for him? Thank you, Mike. All right. Um, you, yeah, here, I'll hold this for you. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Amen. Let's pray as we stand. Thank you, Declan. You can go sit down. Heavenly Father, thank you for how you love and welcome the little ones, the least like us. Help us this morning to see where our hearts are maybe out of alignment with your hearts and where our loves are out of alignment with your loves. And and God, make us childlike. Make us childlike for your glory alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Declan. You know, up at, at Sawyer, I had, had Jermaine come up and read, and it was so funny. He, he came, like, sprinting down the aisle. I mean, it, and so there's, like, an eagerness. Declan, you had an eagerness. I didn't need to call you twice. Um, and I, man, I loved, I loved that. So um, let's dive in. This is probably the part where you'd want to keep your Bible open the most because I won't have everything projected, and we're looking at a lot within the book of Matthew. Where, where is this within the bigger picture? And I think the reason we'll, this is important to do, when we zoom out and we look at Matthew as in the big picture kind of thing, we're going to start to recognize phrases, themes, ideas that are, are in our text that Declan just read, and, and they're being developed. You know, this isn't appearing in a vacuum out of nowhere. Jesus has been talking about a lot of these things for a long time. So the first phrase I think we should notice that Declan read was, was this, the kingdom of heaven. The king, it actually doesn't appear in any of the other gospels. It's just, it's a math, math, one of Matthew's favorites, a distinctive. And uh, I don't think, I don't think Paul uses the phrase. So it's, it's, it's important. And, and Matthew records Jesus having said it at least 33 times, starting in chapter three and, and, and continuing on through towards the end. And, um, and, and that's not including like similar phrases like the kingdom of God, the kingdom of my father, or just the kingdom. That's just the kingdom of heaven. This is something that's really, really important to Jesus. And, and, and he loves to teach about the kingdom who will be involved in a part of the kingdom. And the reason he likes to talk about that is because it's his kingdom. It's his. 
He is its king. And so he wants people to know who are, who are, who are the kind of people that are welcome into my kingdom, who, who can be with me. And so I think, um, well, I know because Matthew's recorded it as king, um, Jesus has been describing what are the qualities and the characteristics of, of a kingdom citizen, the profile of a kingdom citizen. So chapter five, verse three, he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So they're poor in spirit. They're, they're willing to be persecuted for righteousness sake. That's chapter five, verse 10. Um, the, the, the kingdom citizen are those who have righteousness that is surpassing the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They are those who don't just hear God's commands, but do them. They take God's commands seriously. Um, they are people of faith. We see that through chapter eight and, and beyond with many different people that Matthew introduces us to. And more recently in chapter 18, Jesus taught that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who humble themselves like children, humble themselves like children. And this is not the kind of thing, uh, the kind of resume that most kings, most world leaders look for in, in their most prominent people. Um, I think of, you know, in the Bible, one of the first competing kind of kingdom stories is Saul and David. And, and I don't know if this is familiar to you, but when Saul was rising up into his position as king, when, whenever Saul saw a strong and valiant man, he would attach himself to him, right? Saul wanted to surround himself with the strong, the mighty, those who were going to deliver him in war. Contrasted with David. I mean, David is surrounding himself with people like Mephibosheth. Now, if you don't know much about Mephibosheth, it's fun to say. And secondly, Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, which was Saul's son. So this is like, his, um, I don't want to say enemy. David did not perceive Saul as his enemy in, in one sense. It was the Lord's anointed. But, but Mephibosheth, what's significant about him is that he, he's, he, he can't walk. He's lame. He, he's weak. And when I say lame, I don't mean like, you know, like lame. I mean, he can't walk. He's handicapped. You know, it just, it bears saying because our, you know, words change. He, he can't walk. And David is perfectly comfortable surrounding himself, inviting this kind of person to his table to dine with. And Jesus, his, his, at least in this way, is, is very comfortable doing the same. He, he is not just looking for the strong and self-sufficient to surround himself with. He invites the weak. And this is how he builds his kingdom. So kingdom of heaven. What kind of kingdom is it? It's, it's a kingdom of weak ones, little ones, which is our second phrase, little children. This phrase and, and similar ones like little ones or the least, it's been, those phrases have been getting a lot of ink recently in Matthew. Uh, it, it first became a big teaching point for Jesus in 18, chapter 18, verse 1, where, where the disciples came to him and they said, Jesus, um, we were just wondering how, how do we become great? Who's, who's greatest in, in heaven, in, in your kingdom? And, um, and, and I wonder, you know, what's going on in Matthew at this point? Well, Jesus had just taken three of his disciples up on a mountain to see something incredible, the transfiguration. And the other ones were left behind down below, unable to heal people and cast out demons for their lack of faith and prayer. Right? So I, I imagine these other disciples are like, well, okay, how do we become great? Because these ones, it looks like these are your guys. Maybe, maybe we want a little more status ourselves. 
how do we become great, Jesus? And Jesus' answer shocked them. His answer was basically, forget about greatness for a second. No one will even get through the door. No one's even going to get into heaven unless they turn and become like little children. There's that phrase again. So, so what, in what ways does Jesus want you and I to become childlike? This time he elaborates, which is helpful. He says in 18 verse four, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, (laughs) I've been thinking about this text a lot this week and I have little children. So it's been pretty cool to think about it. And and that word humble, like a, a child we, we just need to think about it a little bit more because I was driving to my boys to hockey practice and they had one of their cousins over. And so we're in the car, you know, and I won't name drop, but one, one of my six-year-olds is on this side, one's on this side, and the cousin is in the middle who's going to see him play for the first time. And one of my kids leans over and says, I'm the best on my team. <laughs> He's not the best on his team. Okay. But, but, you know, so is that humble like a child? Do I need to be humble like that? And I don't think that's what Jesus means by humility um, here. The, the word humility has a lot more wrapped up in, in it than just like not proud. Um, I, but at least for now, let's suffice it to say that the childlikeness that Jesus loves and honors is related to humility. It's related to lowliness or, or neediness in contrast with pride and, and self-sufficiency, being enough in ourselves. So, so we're just forming the picture. We'll get into it more soon, though. But this, this kind of teaching that greatness is like littleness, that's a confusing kind of paradox that Jesus is teaching. And, and that leads me to my third theme uh, that we want to observe and that we see in our text today. And that is the disciples are frequently failing to fully grasp Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching is not clicking with them. It's not all making sense quite yet. So in this big section of Matthew, you know, 16 through 20, the disciples are time and again failing to fully grasp what Jesus is saying. So first they're like, you know, Jesus, we know you're the king. We just saw you on the Mount of Transfiguration. You're awesome. And, and he says, actually, I'm, if you want glory with me, you have to suffer first. They didn't quite get it. That's why Peter rebukes Jesus, right? We know that. Um, again, we see it. Jesus is teaching them about the nature of forgiveness. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jesus, I think I'm following you, says Peter. We're supposed to forgive a lot, right? Like seven times. Jesus says, no, you don't really get what I'm teaching about forgiveness. Seven times 70, I want you to forgive your brother who sins against you. So, so they get it, but they don't fully get it. And now they don't fully get greatness in the kingdom of heaven. So um, I'm losing my spot here. Yeah. Um, So all three of these themes, uh, the kingdom of heaven, little ones, and and partial understanding, these are all themes that are picked up in our text today. So I think that helps us maybe understand where Jesus is going here. So that'll that'll bring us to our text and, and part two, if you will which I've called coming to Jesus needy. Um, In many ways, we might find this text kind of repetitive. If we've been tracking with Matthew just a chapter before, um, he said much the same thing. Whoever humbles himself and becomes like a child is great. This sounds a lot like that. So, 
So what's the deal here? What's the difference in chapter 19, verse 13? What, what, are, we, what are we gaining from this? It just seems redundant. But I think there's a difference. In 18, Jesus is teaching his disciples, telling them what he loves. But in 19, it's where the rubber meets the road. It's like, okay, you, you heard me say that you should receive children. You've heard me say that you should receive little ones. Now, here they come. Here come the little ones. Here come the needy. And, and, and now there's something of a, of almost like a test. And, and, and I think we, we kind of understand this in our own experience too. You know, my, my father-in-law can talk me through how to, how to, you know, check the radiator fluid and, and, how, and you know, what, what to look out for and, and all that. But until I do it, it, it just like, it seems kind of overwhelming and scary. Like oh, the radiator just sounds like a scary monster. Um, but, but once you do it, it's like, oh, I will not forget that. It has stuck. And so there's something about experiencing what, you know, these, these challenges and tests and doing it that um, I think brings it home a little bit more. And so my hope is that as we reflect on the disciples having this test, this experience, it's my hope that the Holy Spirit, as we study this text, would reveal and challenge our own partial understandings so that we might realign our heart and values as well. So having said that, verse 13, what, what is happening? <clears throat> well, there are, well, I'll read it. Let's just do that. Then children were brought to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them and pray. So, so there's a group of people. They could be parents, probably parents, but maybe guardians, you know, cousins, uncles, aunts, but they're bringing children to Jesus so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Now, this laying on of hands is best understood as, as seeking that for Jesus to, to bless the children, okay, a blessing. And today in our culture, you know, what, when do we say God bless you the most? It's when, it's when you sneeze, right? God bless you. Um, um, I don't, this is so not worth saying, but when I was a kid, I used to say, God bless myself <laughs> whenever I sneezed. And anyway, that is so not on, on point, but, um, but, but I think we just say it instinctively. And now the idea of blessing maybe has lost some of um, its weight, but blessing is not like a, a passive small thing to, to, has anyone had someone lay their hands on them and, and impart a blessing? Raise a hands if you've had that. It's like, it's not a small thing. Would you agree? Like not a heads? It's like a really significant thing. And that's because a blessing, it, it, similar to a prayer, is, is asking God to bring about good in the lives of another person. It is asking God to bring his promises to pass in the life of another person. It is, it is asking God to do what only he can do. So the, just think on that phrase. It's asking God to come and do in this person's life what only he can do. And when we think about it like that, these, people's, these people coming and requesting a blessing for their children is actually an expression of dependence and neediness. There's this understanding, I can't bring about what I most want for my kids. Isn't that true of all of us? <laughs> What I want to see in my kids, I can't make happen. I can't change my kid's heart. I can't make them love Jesus. So, so there's this 
realization, it seems, in these, these adults bringing their kid to, to, to Jesus to do what only he can do. And it's also an expression of faith that he can do what they're asking. Jesus, I'm coming to you because I believe that, that God will hear and respond to your request, your, your blessing. And this is, this is the right instinct, isn't it? To, to come poor and needy to the one who can meet your deepest needs. That is the right instinct. <clears throat> and so before moving on, let's just reflect for a minute. <clears throat> Sorry. Are, are we, are, are you okay with going to Jesus as poor and needy? You know, are, are you comfortable not being enough? Going for help to your father. Are, are you okay? Consider others. Do you seek Jesus' help for those you love? Your, your children, your friends, your parents? Or, or do we just kind of think, brainstorm, what can I do differently to, to, to make a change, right? I want to see, see so-and-so walking with the Lord. Maybe if I just do this, it'll happen, right? Do we get busy getting to work or do we go to Jesus, for blessing. It, it is the instinct that I think we know is right, but for some reason, sometimes we, we don't do it. Um, there's a, a pastor that Jeff uh, talks often about named Jack Miller. And um, <clears throat> him and his wife would, they had this phrase that they would use with one another. And they would tell each other when they were acting like spiritual orphans, spiritual Orphans, And what they meant was that the other person seemed to be living and acting as though they didn't have a father in heaven who wanted to give them what they needed. They just got busy trying to take care of their problems themselves. You're, you're acting like an orphan, like, like you got to fend for yourself, but you have a father who sees you, who loves you, who wants to provide for your needs. And so they would say, you're acting like a spiritual orphan. Don't you know you have a father? God is a father who loves his children and loves for them to come to him with their needs. Um, another example that I'll, I'll share, you know, there, I know of a sister uh, in Christ in, in this church who upon finding that, or re, uh, they found out that, you know, my child is away, they're at college, they're not, they, they've renounced their faith. They're not walking with the Lord. And, and so, this, this mom, this sister, devoted themselves to fasting one day every week. And, and while they were fasting, they would pray for their child and, and, and petitioning, God, would you bless my, my, my daughter? And, and, you know, I'm not prescribing like uh, God as a genie in a bottle. It's not like if you fast enough, pray enough, he'll do whatever you want. But, but it's the right impulse, Right. This, this sister kept going to the Lord every week until the Lord granted her petition. And, and in this case, the Lord did. And, and her daughter is walking with the Lord in some amazing ways. What a, what a story. What, what a, an expression of the right instinct. Go to Jesus. Go to him. He can and wants to bless you. He wants you to come needy, not without needs. <clears throat> Which brings us to, we'll call it part three, the need for heart realignment. So these, these parents are coming to Jesus with the right instinct. 
And then you start getting some responses to the people. So uh, continuing in verse 13, we read that the disciples response was to rebuke the people, to rebuke the people. This is not even like, you know, the image of a, like a bodyguard came to mind. This isn't like a bodyguard. A bodyguard is preventing you from getting to Jesus, but the disciples are actually rebuking, pushing back, telling the people that their instinct is wrong. This I'm going off script. I get so excited sometimes. Um, They rebuked the people. They responded to the impulse by telling the people, Jesus has other things he needs to attend to. Now, it it could be, you know, we we can cut them some slack, maybe. You know, it might be that they thought they were helping Jesus. You know, he's a busy guy. Um, they don't want him to overfill his schedule. They don't want him to burn out, maybe. Uh, maybe they considered, you know, this type of ministry good, but not as important as like miracles and, and teaching that's, you know, amazing and unheard of. It, it could be that they just thought lowly, like thought little of children. The text doesn't tell us why they rebuke the people, but it is clear that they did not think it valuable or appropriate for these people to come to Jesus with their needs. There were better things to attend to. But Jesus' response is the opposite of the disciples. Upon seeing his disciples rebuking the people, he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Let Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Far from a rebuke, this is an invitation. This is a welcome to the people. You know, and the disciples might have been surprised by this. Like, well, Jesus, what are you, you know, why are you doing that? They might have been surprised, but it shouldn't have been surprising. This is true of Jesus all throughout the book of Matthew. It is consistent with who he is. Uh, A couple examples. Those who ask, receive. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, have the door open to them. Um, he, Jesus says, um, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus has been like this all along. And yet it's, you know, their partial understanding is kind of understandable to us, right? Because it's common for us to think that, well, maybe, maybe Jesus will respond to me kind of how the disciples did. Maybe, maybe he is more, you know, concerned with, in more important matters. Maybe he doesn't see my needs. Like maybe he doesn't need to worry about them. I'll, I'll take care of them. He's got bigger things to do, <laughs> but that's that spiritual orphan thing. It, it, it's, it's, well, if God's occupied, I'll do this. I'll take care of it. But those things are not true about God. God is not too busy for you or uh, too important for you. Those, those are in our heads. Those are not truths, but if we look at the page, if we look at our Bibles, Jesus welcomes over and over again. You know, at, t- at home sometimes, I, I say this confessionally, uh, I get tired of being needed by my six-year-olds and my four-year-old, but Jesus is not like me and praise him for that. He does not tire of, of hearing from you of welcoming you and meeting your needs. He just doesn't tire. It's not who he is. That's why. <laughs> Lord have mercy. So um, back to verse 14. So Jesus is welcoming the crowds. 
But notice the way he does it. It's kind of interesting. So if we pay attention to kind of the grammar, he's not talking to the crowds. So he's welcoming them in, in a way, but he's doing it by addressing and correcting his disciples. Okay, why does that matter? Well, I think it matters because it means the main idea of our passage is, is to teach the disciples something. It's about their hearts needing to be realigned. And it's about, um, well, one, teaching them about his heart. His heart is needy. And it's also about teaching them what they need to understand about themselves. So in short, I, I think what the point is, is that Jesus wants this heart realignment. I want, he wants our hearts to, to be in line with his heart. So he does it by those two commands. First, you know, a follower of Jesus is to let little children come to him. Let them come to me. You know, a follower of Jesus does not need to be Jesus' secretary or his, his ministry planner. Instead, Jesus would have us get out of the way of others coming and, and, and get involved with welcoming others um, and bringing others to him. He wants the weak and needy, and so should we. The second command is this. Do not hinder the little children. Do not, do not make it difficult for the children to come to me. Make it, you know, it, it, we could also say, like, make it easier for them to, to come to me, invite them in. And, and that makes me wonder, just a reflective thing, reflection thing. Are there, are there ways we intentionally or unintentionally hinder needy people from coming to Jesus? You know, maybe... Maybe my Facebook page presents an unwelcoming Jesus. Maybe um, I, I present myself, my attitude maybe is like a holier than thou, and, and maybe that like makes people distance themselves from me and from my, my Savior. Maybe, um, you know, the, uh, maybe my Sunday self and my Monday self, maybe my family sees that, and it actually like gives them a, a false image of Jesus. So do not hinder the children from coming. Why? Well, the disciples needed to be reminded that, as verse 14 goes on to say, for to such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven. The, um, and, and there's one really important word in that sentence, and it's the word such. Um, it's the word such. It is people such as those little children that will come into the kingdom. And in what way? We've talked about this a few times now. It's not that kids are necessarily more virtuous than adults or more humble than adults. It, they might not be more loyal than adults or love the truth more than adults, but they are all very dependent on their parents, on adults. They all are very needy. They need food, clothing, uh, shelter, structure in their, in their day. Uh, in our house, they need a lot of help with conflict mediation, uh, social coaching, how to handle certain situations. And the kingdom of heaven is for people like that. People who just need help with everything. That's what, the, the kingdom is for those people, people such as that. And I think the disciples had a bad case of a phrase I'll call spiritual amnesia. And that is, you know, the word amnesia means forgetful. The disciples, you know, who, who had been wanting to be great in Jesus's kingdom and do great things for Jesus, they were turning away the very people that Jesus had told them the kingdom belonged to. People who were very much like themselves. 
It's not like they aren't needy. They weren't a golden image of self-sufficiency when Jesus called them. They were needy. And so Jesus reminds them, those children are the kind of people I want in my kingdom. So the disciples needed their hearts and their values realigned. And it may well be that you and I do too. It's kind of a constant thing that we're, it's a lifelong process. So, so I want to take a, a moment or two to, I guess, take inventory. So I've got a couple sets of questions. And the first set of questions is this. What do you value? That's like a big, broad question. So what I mean by that is not what you want to value, but what your, your life reveals you value. Okay. Um, what are the things that you have a hard time stopping thinking about? You, you are just always thinking about these things. Or, or what are the things that you give a lot of time to or a lot of money to? What are the things you want with all your heart or the things you dream about becoming or having? You know, are, are, I'll give you a, I guess, I'll keep talking, but I'll, I'll try to not talk too much and give you time to think about those things. What, what do I value? Because I, I wrestle with this kind of exercise. I know what I want to value, but when I reflect on my week, these are the things that emerge. <laughs> For me, I want to be competent. I want to know what I'm doing. I don't want to look like, you know, foolish. I don't want to look like um, needy, <laughs> I guess. Um, I, I spend a lot of time seeking comfort. I think that's a kind of a, a characteristic of our culture. Um, we put a lot of time and energy into, you know, what's going to entertain me, what's going to make me comfortable, what's going to help me relax and turn off my brain, you know, are some of the phrases we use. Uh, so I seek comfort. I also really want to make a difference, you know, and this is confessional. <laughs> um, sometimes I want my interactions with people, like, I want to be quoted three years down the line, and, and people say, oh, you said that thing to me or that thing in your sermon, and it just, you know, changed my life. You know, and I would say, well, the Lord's doing it, you know, through my words. But, but there is a desire in me to, like, want to make a difference. A and those things need realignment in me. Those are not appropriate things. Those are the wrong instinct. If I put all of my energy into being good enough, it is the opposite of going to Jesus. It's the opposite. And, and so when we assess our values, the things that we are valuing, where are they and aren't they in alignment with what Jesus values and loves? Continuing on, what about when it comes to people? Who are the people you tend to value or show value to? Who do you give your time to? Who are you willing to or unwilling to associate with or invite to your house? Um, who have you in, uh, avoided inviting to church? Who do you pray for? Taking it further, what's your attitude toward people who, um, whose neediness is a little bit more obvious to us, um, like children or, or other needy people? Um, perhaps it's the sick, the homeless, the impoverished, the afflicted, foreigners, uh, those who are imprisoned. What is our attitude towards people like that? Is it avoidance? Is it annoyance? Is it kind of like an accusation? Well, they, you know, they're, they're in this position because of things they did. It's their fault. What is our attitude toward the needy? If those are your reactions, let me invite you to realign your heart with Jesus. See, the logic 
of these three verses is a lot like chapter 18 and the parable of the unforgiving servant. So this, there's a servant who has a debt that is more than he can ever hope to pay off. And the king forgives him at all. And the expectation is that then this servant would go and forgive others their debts. It just makes sense. When you've been forgiven much, you can go and forgive. And the idea here is if God welcomed you in your great neediness, then you should be willing to welcome others who are needy like you. It, it, it just makes sense. So, so there's kind of the logic. So, so let me invite you to realign your values with Jesus. Secondly, uh, second set of questions. After reflecting on our heart and our values and, and comparing them to Jesus, consider this. This is like the more practical question. In what ways specifically might the Holy Spirit be calling you to actually become more childlike? By which I mean humble, needy, and dependent. What, what kind of sanctifying operation or surgery might the Holy Spirit want to perform in you this week? And when, like, uh, when Pastor Mike or Rob will ask me a question like that, it's hard for me to visualize. Like, oh, that's, a, that's so broad. So, so let me take you to the Sermon on the Mount to give you a visual of what that transformation could look like. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to, to Matthew 5. If not, I think it should be projected. This is an image of the transformation Jesus wants to see. This is what it looks like to become childlike in the way Jesus means. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the transformation that Jesus wants to work in his people. This is the image he, you know, that he is molding us into throughout our entire lives, making us poor in spirit, meek, mourning. This is the transformation he works in his people. These are the characteristics of needy people. And, and so, I don't know, are there any people in here who like a good challenge in a sermon? Like, give me, give me a challenge, Pastor. Anyone like that? No? Okay, a couple. I, I like it. Um, maybe that's why I, I'm giving one. But for those of you who like a good challenge, um, let me challenge you to take those Beatitudes, those verses we just read, there's eight of them, and, and just reflect on one a day this next week. And one day you have to do two. Um, just reflect on one a day, and, and then consider, how might the Holy Spirit want to make me poor in spirit today? What, in what ways might the Holy Spirit want me to be meek today? I, I, just, I think that'll be a fruitful exercise if, if you are um, looking for, for some, some way to challenge or, or draw near to the Lord this week. So, 
with that, uh, we're, uh, we're close to concluding our time this morning, but I want to urge you um, in, in, in finishing to consider the, 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 the paradoxical value. I don't know if that's a word. I might maybe making it up, but the value that is like a paradox that being spiritually needy is, is what greatness looks like in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to consider that because in our world, the, the great slogans are just do it. And every Disney movie says, um, you are strong, believe in yourself. That is the world we live in. But, but let me dare you to believe, as our text would suggest this morning, you can't do it. You're not strong enough. So believe in Jesus instead. I mean, that is what's being presented. This is who Jesus, this, this is the kingdom people, the people who aren't good enough and go to Jesus for help. This is, this is his kingdom. And, and while at first glance, it makes little sense, when we reflect on it a little bit, it actually makes a great deal of sense. God has always loved his people and, and he really loves to help them. But those who are strong or, or think of themselves as strong, don't come to him for help. It's not, it's not that God doesn't want to help them. They don't want to be helped. God is more willing to help us than we are willing to ask for it. So, so being weak is great because it, it sends us to the one who can help us. And, and this is, it's not even that, um, it, it's actually more than that. Not only does he enjoy helping the needy, one of the prominent themes in scripture is that he exalts them that he will lift them up. I mean, that's like remarkable, but it's, it's all throughout scripture. And, and, and it can be summarized with this one phrase, God humbles the proud and exalts the humble. It, it's just what he, he's always done. It is what he always has done. So consider embracing that value, that greatness looks like meekness and weakness. Consider also how Jesus refers to God. What is it? There's a lot of true titles that Jesus could, could use to refer to God, but his favorite one is, anyone know? want to take a guess? Humble. The title, though, is like, he says, Father, right? He, said, he says, Father. And, and what makes a father a father? It, it, a, a man does not become a father by being married. That makes him a husband. A, a man becomes a father when he has children, Think about that. God calls himself father and he, he is only a father if he has children. And that is how God relates to you and to I. He, he considers himself our father and he relates to us as his children. And that means we don't have to be afraid of being weak and needing help. God doesn't laugh at you when you, you, you fail or, or you come to him for help. He, he meets your need. That's what fathers do are called to do the, the heavenly father loves you. So let the promises of God and the reality of his fatherly love help you free you to embrace being spiritually needy. It's okay. And, and would those promises and, and the reality of his love also free you to embrace people who are needy just like you and just like me. Now, if you've come to Jesus needy, seeking, needing, craving forgiveness, if you've come to him and received forgiveness through his blood, you don't have to fear weakness. You can know with assurance you will stand in his presence without shame. 
Because your, your sins, your weaknesses has been covered by his strength. The spirit of Jesus longs to form in you a heart such as this, his little, uh, his little ones. And um, so, Holy Spirit, would you make our heart like yours? Help us see ourselves as little ones loved by Jesus and move us in love towards others. Let's, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this reminder. We, we confess uh, that, well, I imagine many of us could confess we have acted like spiritual orphans. We have acted like we need to to take care of these things on our own because we're, we're on our own. But that is not true. Convince us of that, Lord. Convince us that you are a father who delights to care for us. And as we realize that, would you make our hearts more like Jesus' heart? Would you make our hearts like Jesus' heart for his glory and his honor? Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.